Since the beginning of this podcast, I've received a few messages regarding a well-known ghostly phenomenon known as the Bingham's Light. There's countless articles and videos that I came across, but none more fascinating and eerie than that of a blog post by a user on yourghoststories.com detailing his own personal experience visiting the light. Could it really be something as simple as swamp gas? Or could the ghostly orb truly be that of a lost soul searching for its severed head? My name is Blake Mosley, and you are listening to South Carolina Spook Show. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I copied and pasted this story from my personal blog. Even though the events first took place a few years prior, the actual story was written sometime between 2013 to 2014. However, earlier this year, as of 2015, I made an updated conclusion on my evolved thoughts regarding the nature of this phenomena. Now we can continue. I don't know the true story behind this light because there are so many variations. Supposedly, in the 1800s, in Bingham, South Carolina, a man named John, or Bill, was killed by a train one night while carrying a lantern. His spirit is walking around in the area, and the light that you see swinging is his lantern. Many people around my region have been talking about this light for years, and I've been wanting to go see it for a long time. The people that see it say that you can call out the man's name, then the light will appear after some time and chase you. So one night I finally went to see for myself. Around 7 p.m. on this night, my two friends and I arrived there. The site we went to is down a one-mile dirt road called South Butler Road, then out in front of a huge cornfield. So, first let me tell you about the area. It is disturbing. Not to sensationalize anything, but it's eerie out there. It was cloudy that particular night, and being out in an isolated area surrounded by woods, it was unnaturally dark. Once we reached the last cornfield, we got out of my friend's truck and scanned the area. Then after about three minutes of trying to pull ourselves together, I suggested that we do what the legend said and call out his name, John Bingham or Bill Bingham. We did that several times, really loud, until it echoed out into the woods. A few minutes later, we looked out into the field near the edge of the woods and saw a very faint flash. We had to look carefully for several minutes because it wasn't an ordinary light and it was hard to see. We thought that the dark was playing tricks on our eyes. When we finally realized what it was, we noticed that it was coming towards us from the edge of the woods to out into the middle of the field. 
When we saw that, we ran back to the truck and we were about to drive off, but we decided that we should go back to do it again for the thrill. So we got back out and called his name again. This time it took about five minutes or so before the light came out and it did the same thing, except moving a little faster this time. We ran to the truck again and waited about 10 minutes and then decided to see it for a third time. However, we saw a truck coming far up the road, so we got out of there because we didn't know who it was. The light didn't glow like a normal light does. It was just a soft, faint blue cream ball. It showed itself in flashes like a radio tower light. As a matter of fact, there are actually a few out there in the distance, and they can confuse you at first and it moved in an erratic side-to-side motion, which will freak you out in itself. It flashes in random places, but still in a swinging motion. Another point, the light doesn't just float in the air at random heights. I noticed that it floats at a steady five feet or so, so I'm guessing that's about how tall the man was. I mean, I just don't understand the true nature behind this light, but all I know is that it's out there. If you just happen to be walking in that area at night, which I doubt anyone would as creepy as it is, and you see that thing coming, it would freak you out. It's not like some horror type of thing, but it is really freaky. That was my first encounter. I went back and saw it a second time. This time around, it was just one friend and I. The moon was full and bright on this particular night. My friend and I stayed out in the area for maybe about a half hour calling it. We even went as far as cussing at it, but it didn't come out regardless. I told my friend about this path that is supposed to be in the middle of the field and leads back up to the woods near where the man was supposedly killed. So we finally got the guts to walk the path. We called the light, all the while thinking that it would come out being as we were closer, but it still didn't appear. We decided to turn around about halfway and walk to the other side of the field. When we got all the way to the other side, and about halfway up, we saw the light coming towards us in the middle of the field, but it disappeared and would not come out again. Strange. That was my second encounter. At the current time of writing this post, I have since been out there a good 15 to 16 times between 2010 and 2014, but only saw it those first two times. Update. After doing extensive research on the history behind this light over the past few years, I have come to the conclusion that the story behind it may be fabricated. While the light is indeed real, as I've seen it twice, the story behind it is also the same story behind another ghost light phenomena in South Carolina. The locations are all different, but they all have in common the same or similar story about a man walking around with a lantern and was beheaded by an oncoming train one night, so his spirit is now looking for his head and the light is his lantern. It's disappointing to know that this is only a widespread urban legend used by people to describe phenomena that they can't explain. However, the fact remains that the light phenomena does exist, but I have yet to explain what it is. It was once thought to be swamp gas or ball lightning, but due to the location of the sightings, which is mainly out in the middle of a field, although there are some other points around the area where folks claim to have seen it, the possibility of swamp gas and ball lighting are ruled out. Now it's important to note that there used to be a railroad that once ran right through that area to take people to a resort back in the 1800s or so. But the resort and the railroad tracks are long gone. It's also important to note that there is indeed a swamp in that area, and I've been to it personally. 
but it is not close to the field where the light is often seen. Also ruling out the possibility of it being swamp gas or ball lightning is the fact that the light is shown to have intelligence because it comes out when you call it, although not every time. It also seems to be drawn to fear, at least from my experience. My first time going out there, I was almost terrified, and the sheer darkness and remoteness of the area only made it worse. My first night out there, I was chased by it twice. The other times going out there, I braved up to it and I haven't seen it since. All this is considered the reason why I think that it's definitely a spirit. Another interesting fact to point out is that after doing some research online, I came across this rare book about a guy named Carly Wiggins who was also doing research on the light. He said he came across an elderly lady in the area who had heard about a man named Willem Wynn, who indeed was killed by a train that ran through the area back in the day. All in all, I think no one will ever know the true nature behind the Bingham light. But nonetheless, it remains a cool thing to go see when you want to get freaked out for a night. Coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. Most folks are familiar with South Carolina's most famous serial killer, Pee Wee Gaskins. But did you know that there was another terrifying figure that went on a murder spree in the upstate? And later... In the mid-1800s, it wasn't uncommon for young children to come down with awful fevers, slip into comas, and sadly, pass away as a result. When you think about those that were declared dead but then buried alive, it makes it even more devastating. And for one unfortunate child, her spirit seems to still attempt her escape. The story of Julia Laguerre is coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. Life isn't always easy. In fact, we all battle depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the thing that we can rely on to get us through the tough times we all face. The podcast, When Words Fail, Music Speaks, with host James and Blake, discusses the healing power of music. They interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies, and a lot more. On When Words Fail, Music Speaks, enjoy interviews and lively discussions about musicians and songs you know and love. This is a podcast any music lover will enjoy add when words fail music speaks to your podcast playlist right now available on spotify apple podcast and wherever you listen to podcasts the city of gaffney population approximately twelve thousand, is located in cherokee county and in close proximity to i-85 those who were living in Gaffney in the late 1960s undoubtedly remember the terror that this small community felt when it was discovered that a serial killer was among them. It started in 1967 when the first victim was discovered, but at this point no one knew that there was a serial killer in town. In fact, the first victim's husband was wrongly arrested, tried, convicted, and sentenced to 18 years in prison for her murder, which he was then later released. But there were more victims to be discovered, and when the folks in Gaffney learned that there was a serial killer afoot, you can imagine it made for some high tension in the community. Oddly enough, it was the killer himself who would give the police the evidence to find him. Perhaps it was his ego that got in his way after someone got all the glory of a conviction for a crime that he knew that he had committed. Whatever his motivation, Leroy Martin, aka the Gaffney Strangler, picked up the phone and called the editor of the Gaffney Ledger and confessed to three killings, 
and even said that the first one we mentioned above was among them, and that the police had arrested and convicted the wrong man. Oddly enough, the Gaffney Strangler called the editor of the Gaffney News, again four days later, to say that there would soon be more killings in Gaffney. In total, and in under a year, Martin would kill a total of four females before being arrested for his killing spree in Gaffney. His motives for each of the killings remain a mystery. Martin was later killed by a fellow inmate after going to prison for his crimes. Today, the bridge over People's Creek has been replaced by a newer bridge, but folks still experience an uneasy feeling in the area. In 2013, Haunted Echoes, South Carolina, produced a full-length paranormal investigation about the hauntings in Gaffney surrounding the serial killings. Coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. In the mid-1800s, it wasn't uncommon for young children to come down with awful fevers, slip into comas, and sadly, pass away as a result. When you think about those that were declared dead but then buried alive, it makes it even more devastating. And for one unfortunate child, her spirit seems to still attempt her escape. The story of Julia Laguerre is coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. Presbyterians first congregated on Edisto Island around 1689. However, the first church building was not constructed until 1710. After the church burned, it was replaced by a new structure in 1807. In 1836, construction of the present Presbyterian Church was completed. Designed by Charleston architect James Curtis, the classic Greek Revival Church symbolized the prosperity of the planters who worshipped there. The wooden benches that can still be seen in the old church were used by slaves, who were encouraged to attend services. In the graveyard attached to the church, one can find graves dating back to 1792. The air of melancholy that hangs over the graveyard seemingly emanates from the small, temple-like mausoleum without any doors. In 1850, a young girl named Julia Laguerre was staying in the home of her relatives when she developed a yellowish-gray membrane on her throat. She also developed a fever and had difficulty breathing and swallowing. The doctor, who immediately recognized the symptoms of diphtheria, recommended at least 10 days of bed rest. Within a few days, the child slipped into a deep coma. Convinced that the girl was dead, the family quickly dressed her lifeless body in her favorite pink dress and interred her that afternoon, hoping to prevent the spread of the disease that had taken hundreds of lives on the state's barrier islands. She was laid to rest in a marble mausoleum with the name J.B. Laguerre carved above the door. Fifteen years after Julia's death, a coffin containing the corpse of a young man who was killed in an accident was carried to the Laguerre Mausoleum in the Edisto Presbyterian Church Cemetery. When the door to the mausoleum was opened, the mourners were shocked to find the corpse of a little girl in a tattered pink dress lying by the door. Suddenly, it dawned on them that Julia Laguerre must have been buried alive. They could picture the poor girl climbing out of her coffin and frantically trying to find a way out of her marble prison before dying of starvation. The men sadly gathered up Julia's remains and placed them in her coffin. In her book, More Tales of the South Carolina Low Country, Nancy Ryan relates the conclusion of the horrific tale of Julia Laguerre. A few weeks after the funeral of the young man, a family member who had returned to the cemetery was surprised to find the marble door to the mausoleum standing wide open. 
After locking the door even more securely than it had been before, the man left. A month later, he was surprised to learn from an elder of the church that the door was open once again. For the next 100 years, all efforts to keep the door to the Laguerre Mausoleum closed failed. In the 1950s, state-of-the-art locks were placed on the door. A few days later, the door was found lying on the ground. The door was placed back on its hinges and locked with a heavy iron chain in a last-ditch effort to keep it closed, but a week later, the door was on the ground again. Today, the marble door has been cemented to the floor of the mausoleum. Even though the door no longer moves on its own, paranormal activity has still been observed in and around the mausoleum. Visitors have captured a number of strange images with their digital cameras, including the pictures of what seem to be angelic and demonic faces. The picture of a young girl in a long dress has also appeared in the photographs. Regrettably, before embalming became widely practiced in the 20th century, premature burials were not uncommon. In 1674, a sexton who was exhuming the body of Marjorie Halcrow Erskine of Chernside, Scotland, accidentally revived her while attempting to cut a valuable ring off of her finger. In 1896, T.M. Montgomery, who was supervising the removal of corpses from Fort Randall Cemetery in South Dakota, noticed that 2% of all bodies he removed had been buried alive. Without a doubt, though, one of the most terrible cases of live burial has to be the story of young Julia Laguerre. Hey everybody, thank you so much for checking out this episode of South Carolina Spook Show. If this is your first time, I just want to say thank you so much, welcome, and I hope hope that you come back uh, for another one. Um, Please share this episode with anyone that you feel would enjoy true crime or paranormal stories or stories about UFOs, and especially if they are from South Carolina. I hope you guys enjoy it, I hope that they enjoy it, and I would very much appreciate it if you shared this with them. Um, We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, all the above. So whatever you prefer, we're out there. You can leave a rating and review, too, if you feel so inclined. And I would really appreciate it if if you left me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps me out like you would not believe. And I can read that review right here on the show uh, and uh, give you a shout-out, and I appreciate that. You can follow the show on all the social media pages that I have for it, uh, such as Facebook and Instagram. It's at South Carolina Spook Show. Also on Twitter, it is at SC Spook Show. Um, And if you have any ideas of your own that you would like to send me for future episodes, or if you have a personal story that you would like to tell me and share with me, or if you would like to be interviewed, shoot me an email. It's scspookshow at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message on any of the social media sites that I mentioned before. Also, if you don't mind checking out my other podcast that is called When Words Fail, Music Speaks. It's all about music and mental health uh, and it's a blast. I do that with my good buddy James Cox. Uh, It is also available anywhere that you find podcasts. The Bingham Light was submitted to yourghoststories.com by DJ Uh, That's D-E-E-Day. The story of the serial killer who terrorized this small South Carolina town is truly frightening. Was written by Robin Jarvis for OnlyInYourState.com. And finally, The Door That Refused to Stay Closed was taken from the book Haunted South Carolina, Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of the Palmetto State, written by Alan Brown. 
What a great book. I have gotten a lot of material from that one book in particular. Uh, there's a lot of great ones out there, and I'll continue to use those sources for some future episodes. So please go check them out. Buy them on Amazon, whatever you have to do. Support these uh, local authors. It's, it's awesome. All articles read on South Carolina Spook Show are the property of their respective authors and is used for purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Thank you again for listening. I'm your creator and host, Blake Mosley, and this is South Carolina Spook Show. Y'all stay spooky. Thank you.